welcome to another episode of From the Lower Level. I'm your host, Moshi, and this week, Patrizio sends his apologies. Um, unlike me, praying last week, this week, Patrizio is participating in capitalism and he's off being uh, just hustling. But you know what? We applaud that. We applaud that. Um, so bear with me as I hold it down. You know, word of the street isn't really my jam, but honey, there is so much to get through. Um, I'm also just going to talk a little bit about Beverly Hills and Miami and just where we're at in the state of the nation of Bravo. But let's kick off with all of the news because this week there has been a lot. So typically around this time, we would be at least like five or six episodes into the Real Housewives of Atlanta. But as we wanted, the producers and the network have gone back to the drawing board and ATL is kind of sorting itself out. We heard the rumours initially that Sanya um, will not be returning. As yet, we don't know if that's true. But one person who we know for sure will not be returning is Candy Burrows. So Candy is definitely the current OG of Atlanta and regular listeners of the show will know that this is something that I have been asking for for a really, really long time. I got to say, when I initially saw the news, I was like, yay, 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 we won. But I am a little bit sad and it's gotten me thinking about the way that Housewives kind of exit the shows. I just, I think it would have really been nice if, especially for an OG, if there was like at least a bridging episode. So, you know, Candy's maybe on the first episode of the new season and we sort of see her farewell and maybe we throw her like a farewell party. I just kind of feel, I think like the only time a housewife has had like that kind of send off is maybe when we know they're going to jail. (laughs) Um, So I think it is a bit sad, but at the same time, I think this is perfect. It's, it's the right time for Candy to go. We know she's got all her fingers in all of these other pots and pies and she needs to work her way to an EGOT and she's not getting that Emmy on ATL, honey. Um, in other sort of casting rumours, Kenya is said to have been given an offer to come back and Portia is set to be returning. Um, I've also kind of wanted Portia to come back, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know what Portia is going to be like with just Kenya there if there isn't another OG and that could be exactly the energy that we need. So continue to watch this space. I hope that at least within the next week we have an idea of who's going to be on ATL and that they start recording soon. Just as a side note, um, God-level producer of Housewives and Reality TV, Carlos King, is launching a new reality show called Bold and Bougie, which is also set in ATL. It is a Housewives format. Um, It features a lot of other black women from other shows or from the media. Um, I just saw the trailer today. You can just find it on his Instagram. And it is giving very much like that 
old original VH1 kind of messy reality show. The girl is on the show, uh, yeah, known for being messy. But if anybody is missing some ATL mess, that is a great um, opportunity to start at the entry level of something. Um, I'm once again also going to shout out Married to Medicine, which is having a phenomenal season. And really, somebody who is carrying a lot of reality at the moment is Miss Phaedra Parks. So I know a lot of people will say with Candy gone, it's an opportunity for Phaedra to come back to ATL. But I feel like Phaedra is in a really great place. Like she's killing it on Traders, literally. Um, if, you're, if you watch Traders, you'll understand that, that sort of pun. Um, and she's like doing, just having a good time on Married to Medicine. So I don't know that Phaedra would want to put herself back into Real Housewives of Atlanta territory because the vibes are a little bit off at the moment. Um, so yeah, that's the tea on ATL. Um, let's move a little bit further east and let's talk about Roni. So Real Housewives of New York, the first sort of of the Bravo franchises to have a really huge shakeup from the core four, core five original kind of OGs. Um, and they had a pretty good season. But one thing that we knew that was pretty obvious by the end of the season is that Jenna Lyons wouldn't be returning. And, you know, Jenna's having her renaissance. She's off doing all the things. She is back in a huge way on the social scene. And to me, she played Roni right. She used it exactly how it should be used, how to use these platforms to lift yourself up. But the other person who it looks like will not be returning is Sai. And I think in a way... It's kind of a similar situation. So prior to Roni, Sai was purely just an influencer, but she is very well known in the mummy and fashion um, influencer scene, particularly in the US, like she, she had a lot of credibility and that was her main source of income. I think her persona on the show versus her persona on as an influencer have just kind of clashed so hard because she really became such a villain on Roni and that doesn't really fit with her influencer persona. So the rumours that we're hearing of Sai not returning kind of makes sense and I think is the smarter career move. Um, I don't know whether or not she won any new fans in terms of new people who will be following her for her influencer content. Um, she probably lost a few and that's probably part of it. But that said, I wouldn't be surprised if we see her as a friend of. I think she does have some genuine relationships with some of the women on the show. Um, and I think it would be sad to just kind of have one season and exit, especially when you were such a big personality and you drove so much of the storyline as well. So I'm hoping that we do see Sai come back um, at least as just a friend of. So with the possibility of two women not returning to a fairly small cast as it is, we're hearing that some of our OGs are coming back. So namely Dorinda, Luann and Sonia. I'm not sure how they're going to be mixing with Uber and um, Aaron and like who else is on that show? Do I remember? Jessel. <laughs> I should have written all these names down. But you know, it's very old world, new world. And I don't know that like there is any crossover. So 
hearing that they're returning feels a bit iffy to me. I kind of think maybe we do need, if, if people really want to see Dorinda Lou and Sonia back on their screens, I think we really need to have a old school, new school and have two very separate shows, but who knows. Um, I'm going to switch on over to talking about Potomac now. You know, I really haven't been talking about Potomac at all. If you want a really good breakdown of where Potomac is at, please listen to last week's episode um, that Patrizio did. It's season six, episode four, um, Miami Mammies on the Gondola Ride from Hell is the title, um, and he gives a really great update there. I'm really impressed by my stubbornness at not watching the show. Anything that I'm learning about Potomac is purely coming off like blogs and Instagram posts and like things coming from the Bravo Insider newsletter. I truly have no idea what's going on, but my action to not watch kind of, it feels correct because what I'm hearing the streets say is the show is run to the ground. Everybody just hates each other. Nobody is willing to get over and move past arguments and grow. And I'm going to talk a little bit about growth when we talk about Beverly Hills. Um, but the word on the street is that Michael Darby's defamation suit against Candace has just been dropped. The judge was like, yeah, there's nothing here. Let's drop that. And also that feels very correct. I feel like when we have a franchise where there's people like suing each other, um, where there's just so much hate and dysfunction, it's not getting anywhere. That said, once the reunion is, like the last part of their reunion is, I will probably binge watch the show or I will probably make an attempt to watch it. Um, I'm keen to know out there if anyone else is watching it or not watching it, why you're not watching it, and if you are watching it, how you feel about it. Are there any redeeming factors? Who do you want to see back? Does it need a full cast shakeup? Should the show just be cancelled? Like, I want to know what people's opinions are. So please slide into our DMs at From the Lower Level Pod on Insta and let me know. Now, this is kind of breaking news and it's kind of, again, in things that feel correct and feel kind of right. Jennifer Pedantry, um, who is Jen from the most recent season of Real Housewives of Orange County, Um, is being sued by the landlord of her yoga studio for not paying $133,000 in rent. For the OC, I feel like that kind of checks out. And it's kind of funny because I feel like one of the things, particularly on the OC that we see is, (laughs) that was dumb, but one of the things that we see on the OC is people perpetrating or perpetuating that they have more than they actually do. Um, And I think that was definitely kind of the vibe that we got, particularly around Jen, you know, constantly being called out by accounts like The Real Bad Fashions for a lot of fake, you know, items that she was wearing and things like that. Um, And I think like, yeah, to not be paying on a yoga studio, probably makes sense. I'm sure there's, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry, guys. I'm I'm sure there's more to the story though. Um, There'll be something with the landlord or she's found a different space or like one of her partners, you know, was meant to be paying it. There's always all of that sort of crap. So 
curious to see where that goes and whether or not it makes it into the the next season of of, of uh, Orange County. Now, something that has been, and I'm using a phrase that feels very old now, but something that has been living rent-free in my head is Gentia and Elizabeth Holmes hanging out in prison in their little khakis and, you know, all the insider info that has come out about the fact that they are homies. Um, You know, the streets are saying that, Elizabeth sees Jen as like a mother figure. Um, Jen has held her baby whom she had just before she went into prison um, during family visits. Um, It's just not unbelievable for Jen to be to have found a way to connect with Elizabeth Holmes. To me, I think like Jen is the ultimate scammer here because I feel like at the end of it, Elizabeth Holmes is going to be worse off and Jen is going to, I don't know, have developed the next Theranos or something. Um, but it's it's very interesting to me that even off the show, Jen is still having, you know, quite a fascinating life. Um, I am also just want to say that I am really missing Salt Lake City at the moment, um, which I never thought I would be, but I'm missing, I'm missing that gold. Um, but speaking of shows that are currently on, I'm going to do a little bit of word on the street in terms of what we're hearing about Beverly Hills and Miami, um, but also just touch on this week's episodes. So hopefully this, I mean, this might not be a very long pod. Let's see. Let's see if my voice can hold up. You know, that's the real challenge here. So over in Beverly Hills, uh, the women are filming the reunion at the moment. One bit of tea that we got this week is that Kathy Hilton shows up for the reunion, which is big stunt casting to me. It's what it's wild that they need her on the reunion, but I guess it's um, I don't know a way to ensure that we watch. Um, yeah. It's, it's a worry. Um, in other Beverly Hills kind of news, <laughs> the the streets were reporting that Morgan um, and Kyle have, and I've put this in quotations, they've split. Uh, this comes off the back of Morgan deleting every picture of her and Kyle off of her Instagram. And look, Kyle was then seen at one of her concerts in the front row singing along as you do. So I think what we can take from this is that Morgan is probably just trying to distance herself from being known as Kyle's potential girlfriend and wanting to sort of like kick off her music career, maybe just start it afresh, be known for being just herself. Um, So yeah, I mean, good on Morgan, but watch this space. If I, I suspect if she's not able to kick off her career the way she does, we'll be seeing her back on the franchise. Um, somebody else who is performing the house down boots. I don't even know why I just said that. Um, Erica Jane, who is having a really, really good season. Um, 
she has been so quotable. I don't know about all of you, but Merce is in the purse. Like, I'll just be like washing dishes or cooking or talking to somebody and just randomly I'll just be like, Merce is in the purse. Like, her drunken shenanigans and her brain, particularly on this trip in Spain, that was not meant to rhyme, um, is just been phenomenal. Like, EJ, when she is just comfortable and relaxed and having a good time is so much fun. And it looks like, you know, she's really riding a high. She's got two shows that are coming out. So the first one is Bet It All on Blonde, which is the name of her Vegas residency. Bravo are giving her a two-part special, which is set to premiere March 6 on Bravo in the US. So those of us in the lower level will get it on March 7th, hopefully on Hey You um, or possibly even Binge. Um, And it is basically showing the behind the scenes of what it's taken her to build a Vegas residency. Bravo giving her this special. It really shows how invested they are in her. And I guess if we go back to the last two seasons for EJ and the whole scandal around Tom Girardi um, and the fraud and the stealing, you know, particularly from vulnerable people, Bravo really hung by her. They gave her every opportunity as well, just be herself to open herself. And I think that Erica is being rewarded for for being so open and for allowing them to film the good and the bad. Because I think on other franchises, like I think if this had been like a Kenya Moore, Kenya would have been suing Bravo. I think if this had been, well, no, I think Teresa would have played this game quite nicely as well. Um, like we see sort of the way someone like Vicky Gunvalson has handled how Bravo have portrayed her, those sorts of things. But I think there are very few housewives out there who would have stayed as long as EJ did and ridden the wave, despite how they were being, well, not being edited, but despite having kind of this warts and all perception of them being shown on TV, because nothing about EJ over the last two years has made us any more empathetic to her and her cause regardless. So I think this is Bravo saying, you know, kudos to you. You gave us what we wanted and we're going to give you something in return. And I think this is, for anyone who's really interested, I guess, in the production machine and, you know, how everything works. I know we talk a lot about production and editing and all of that sort of stuff and the role that producers and the networks play, but this is how you get what you want, right? Um, So, yeah, I mean, I also just think of the way Nini has, things have sort of gone between Nini and Bravo, Bethany and Bravo, all of those sorts of things. So this is the payoff for people who essentially play the game. Um, now, will you be watching? I'm probably going to give the first part a view. And if I like it, I'll watch the second part. I don't necessarily know, like for me, when it comes to the spinoffs, if I'm not feeling them, I'm not feeling them. And I just don't continue with them. Curious to know if you'll still be watching though. Um, now the other television show that is going to be very EJ focused on is the housewife and the hustler 
Part 2, which is set to debut on Hulu um, in the US, and I guess that'll be Disney for everybody else. Um, That's on Feb 12th, February 12th. Typically, when something is launched on February 12th in the US, it'll be the equivalent date globally as well. So hopefully we get it Feb 12th or we'll get it a little bit later. Um, the first Housewife and the Hustler really didn't focus that much on EJ, but it was very weird documentary in that it had people who really don't know Erica Jane <laughs> being interviewed on the show. And this is the thing that always makes me laugh about these sorts of like patchwork documentaries. I call them patchwork because they're just like at a real decoupage or collage, if you will, of just random people who other people know and who just want to have an opinion on the story. But I think um, part two is going to be a little bit different because I believe Erica is actually interviewed and she has her say. So Erica is really like leaning into her new glow up and leaning into her next phase. And I did say before, you know, talking about Beverly Hills, I really wanted to talk a little bit about where the show is currently at. Um, I think it's, and, and growth. I think the show is in a really pivotal moment because it is quite stagnant, um, but there are some really exciting and compelling people who I think are able to drive the show forward. And the reason that they're able to do this is because Again, they're being warts and all vulnerable, but they're also giving us growth. They're not being just monotonous. They're not just being one-dimensional. They're giving us four dimensions. And for me, the real standouts, particularly this season, that are giving us 4D um, is Sutton. I think, wow, just even in this last episode or just even in this trip to Spain, like Sutton is really doing what needs to be done. She has organized the trip and it is a great trip. There is constant activities. And I love that she was like, we are not shopping. But then there was the chaos of shopping last week, right? She's really like, I'm going to find a beautiful house. Okay, it's going to have ghosts. Um, I'm going to bring in some of my friends. So just bringing in this kind of cast of people who, if you think about it, her friend Trevor and his friends at the dinner were kind of all fans or they were kind of like us. Like, you know, they were there to watch the housewives and the housewives delivered. It was brilliant. Um, You know, in this episode, Merce's released from the purse, so to speak, Um, and we have another iconic (laughs) Ashes scene. Probably we haven't had anything as iconic since Sonia released her puppies Ashes um, many moons ago. But, you know, we have the comedy of errors with the Ashes going out and actually they end up in Kyle and Garcelle's hair and in their clothes. It's, it's, that's kind of the silly sort of stuff that we love in Housewives. But at the same time, you know, Sutton sort of acknowledging the symbolism of releasing and that she is at this point, this journey in her life where she needs to release all of her baggage and the baggage is her divorce. The baggage is her father's suicide. 
some do not have to give us these stories, right? And I think it's so important that particularly women of a specific social standing or these sorts of affluent women who we as viewers have a really specific perception of are able to give us some insights into all the machinations, all the crazy shit that has happened in their world. And it humanizes them a lot. It makes them relatable. Sometimes we don't want our housewives to be relatable, but it, it, it gives us the right kind of relatability to our housewives. And again, it shows growth. It moves the show. It makes the show compelling. It makes them compelling. It makes us really love the person. And I think Sutton also just has such a quirky nature that she is just one of those people who should be on television. In many ways, for me, Sutton is giving what I always thought Shannon Bedore would give us from that sort of quirkiness. Shannon is probably like Sutton on 10,000, but these are the sorts of characters that we love to see on TV. A full comedy of errors. They, you know, and I think Sutton does the right thing by surrounding herself with interesting people. I still very much believe that Avi is a paid actor, but I'm okay with it. Um, so I think, you know, Sutton just delivering that. Also, I think her relationships with the other women, you know, her and Kyle the way they they were at the beginning of the season with name them, name them, name them. And to see them kind of come full circle and be able to move on again, you know, this is the critique that we hear about other franchises that I'm not watching, but this is what we need. We need people to be able to have these conflicts and then be able to have a type of resolution and move forward in them. It's a shame that it had to be something like suicide and death. Um, and sorry, I hope there's a content. I should have put a content warning, but I'm not going to go too um, deep on it here um, to bring them together. But that's real life, you know. So it's been wonderful to watch Sutton this season. And I'm really interested to see where she goes next. I feel like if she is having this huge turning point, obviously we're going to have to start seeing her dating more. And I think we're going to see that next season. I mean, next episode, but I think next season, what does the future hold for Sutton? I'm, I'm really fascinated by that. Um, I spoke about her just before, but Erica Girardi, er Erica Jane, um, I don't know if I would say that AJ is at 4D yet, but I think she has the ability to get there. Um, the thing that is really great about her is her deadpanness. When she is deadpan and just talking shit, it is brilliant. Um, so definitely want to see more of that. Also from EJ, she talks a lot about these, you know, one night stands that she's having, these men that she's fucking. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> not the porn, like I don't want to see her like actually fucking people, but we need to start seeing who EJ is going to be dating next season. I want to start seeing her as like um, a cougar, like, I mean, she's not really a cougar. I guess it's like, so normal now. I shouldn't be like 
that's not feminism, Mosh. Don't say she's a cougar. But I would love truly to see EJ like dating some beautiful hot men next season who are young or her age um, and diving a little bit more into that. And I think for me, seeing uh, having her allow us to see that side of her life would be fabulous. We've gotten glimpses of her mother this season. I want to see more of that. Like this is what makes you more 4D when you start to show us like your canon, your holistic world, like all of the different elements. Don't just talk about the people. Show. You need to show, not just tell, okay? A good presenter makes. Um, Garcelle is having also this interesting arc. I think for me the thing about Garcelle's arc is that she does bring some of it on screen. So we definitely see, you know, the stuff that she's going through with her sons, um, the stuff that she's doing in terms of the films that she's making and the TV shows that she's doing. But I think also I really enjoyed the role that she plays when she kikis with Sutton and Erica Jane. Like Garcelle and Erica just like talking about sharing men and being horny and just being crazy, it's actually really funny to me. On other franchises where I've seen this, like New York is the other one that I would say, it always comes off a little bit cringe, but the two of them together, look, there is some cringe factor because they are thirsty AF, but it's also just very funny because you can see the humor in it. Um, Now, I don't condone the objectification of people, but they're keeping their hands to themselves and it's all in good fun and I love it. Um... Now, my least favorite housewives on Beverly Beverly Hills is Kyle. We we all know this. Um, Kyle has had a really interesting season as well. I think obviously she's gone through a lot and I'm happy with what she has shown us because one thing that I've always wanted to see from Kyle is a little bit more and not so much. I know like, you know, she's given us an you know, Kathy and Kyle, but that is her putting other people out there so that she can critique and kind of distract us, I believe, from what's going on in her life. But it was really interesting in this most recent episode, you know, she FaceTimes her daughters and she talks about the conflict and she talks about, you know, what she's trying to hide from her kids and and those sorts of things. But again, for me, the thing with Kyle is... she tells half-truths. She still keeps too much hidden and we need to see it balls out. We need to see everything. She, she, she keeps sort of speaking and, and uh, wanting us to read between the lines because when she does that, she can then be go on the defensive so that if you call her out on something, she can call you out as say you're attacking her, you're bullying her, you're making it worse so that she can be the victim. And that's the thing that is just really, really frustrating for me. And it's a shame because after all these years, Kyle should be that girl. I I don't think this will be Kyle's last season, but I think, you know, if she's true to her word, I think maybe next season is her last season and you know, give her a nice little swan song. I don't, I think, again, I don't want to see any OGs just being fired. I want to see them being given a send-off. 
Um, really, those are the women who are carrying the show at the moment. Um, oh, Dorit, Dorit, Dorit. I mean, I'm so glad that the producers will take any opportunity to make sure that we see Dorit speaking another language and having the person locally in Spain just shut her down. Manolo, our um, flamenco guitar player, just like <laughs> calling her out, iconic. Um, but aside from that, what is she delivering? Um, it's a shame because I think that if there was anyone who would be able to get Kyle to talk more, it's Dorit, but it's just not happening. And and that's the role really that Dorit should have been playing this season. Crystal continues to be more interesting offline, <laughs> so in the social media world, than she does on the show. Um, I do like, I, I loved her little conflict with Anne-Marie, who I know we talk about Anne-Marie being called Anna-Marie, and I have heard Anne-Marie call herself Anna-Marie on the show. So, like, hopefully at the reunion we get a consensus on what her name is and how it should be pronounced. Um, it's kind of weird, though, because I don't want to like Anne-Marie, but, yeah, she calls out... EJ's conflict. I think I think she could be a good bone collector, but I just think the way she was introduced on the show hasn't been very good. There is also a very tenuous word on the street that she is potentially getting her own spin-off. Now, I do not believe that. And I shouldn't maybe it's not a spin-off, but maybe she's getting her own show. If she is, it's definitely not with Bravo. Um, and I think the fact that her husband is being accused of some pretty heinous sexual assault is the reason why she won't be getting a show. That said, I can see how she would be good on reality TV. I think she has the makings of somebody who'd be very good on a housewives type show, particularly because she has a day job. Um, so maybe if they bring back like Married to Medicine Los Angeles, California, whatever. She could be really, really good um, on that show. Who else is on this show? Have I said everybody? I don't even know. But look, that's how I'm feeling at the moment. Um, my question to you, dear listeners, is what are you releasing? Um, obviously, I have released Patrizio this week um, and it feels good. It feels right. <laughs> um, the other thing, just as a side note that I really loved this episode and I always love it is anytime we can get a gay education. Um, so it's, it was bear week on the show. Incidentally, it's bear week in Australia this week as well. Whoop, whoop. Um, and Trevor educating the women on all the different types of, you know, I think generally cis male gays that exist out in the world. And once again, Erica, the encyclopedia of everything. Um, so that was really fun to watch. I'm going to take a really quick break. And when I come back, let's talk about Miami. Okay. I'm back from the break. Um, hopefully my voice 
keeps up. I don't know what's going on here. Now, the Real Housewives of Miami are still in Mexico. We're here for Mexico Pride. And I feel like such a dum-dum for not knowing the scale of Pride, particularly in Mexico. I think because the Latin world is so religious, it never occurred to me that it would be such a huge event. But then, you know, population should dictate that it's going to be big. Um, And this Pride event did not disappoint. I'm starting to talk about Pride first because I think it's really nice to talk about the positive things first. Um, One thing that I really love about the women of Miami is that no matter like what they're going through, and these women really do go through it, Whenever Adriana has a song out, everybody loves it. And the fact that Alexia is Adriana's biggest fan, it wows me every single time I see it. Every single time I see Alexia singing all the words to Miami's hot, hot, on fire. Like, it's a bop. And I love that the girls just, like, fully let loose um, and they sing it. I think... The highlights for me about Mexico Pride, obviously the sheer velocity of the event. Um, We have seen, you know, other people perform at Pride events. Obviously New York Pride, we've seen Sonia and the girls out on the float. In Potomac, we've seen Ashley do, I guess, a much smaller kind of Pride event. But this was phenomenal. And to see Adriana go out there, especially like to really represent her Brasilia culture with her costuming was like phenomenal. And that body, I mean, good for her. The dancing was great. I think Emilio Estevez or Estefan, (laughs) not the actor. I think Emilio is going to be um, really ecstatic. And again, it still blows my mind that like, Adriana is one of his mentees. Like, it's phenomenal. Like, such a huge deal. Um, Julia. Now, Julia, Julia, Julia. Not spelling um, Adriana's name correctly and having never spelt it correctly, like with the E and the A, and so the I and the A, is iconic. But at the same time, like, Adriana with an E and A, it's not wrong. The pronunciation is still the same. It just goes to show, once again, how stupid the English language is and how much it doesn't make sense. Because we're dealing with women here who speak three, four, five, six, seven languages. Like, they're speaking a multitude of languages. And in other languages, alphabets make sense. Well, most of them. In English, things don't make sense. So I totally... um, respected Julia's spelling of Adriana's name. I think all the women, I mean, the other thing we always know about Miami is that when it comes to the outfits, they're going to be showing up. Um, I think Lisa had my favorite outfit. Like I loved, I guess maybe it's like a Pacaroban kind of like with the little mirrors um, sort of dress, but like with the rainbow diagonally, like I loved it. Like Lisa knows what she's doing there. Um, I think there were also some other phenomenal outfits and phenomenal hair. I really loved Gertie's hair. I love that she rallied for the event. Um, She looked great. 
Um, and Kiki's outfit, I really love. I'm really enjoying Kiki with the short hair. I think possibly that's her natural hair. It's not a wig. It looks really great. But she just like came through with like that tomboy festival culture. I think she just knows how to encapsulate events. Um, and she just looked amazing. And the vibe was just, ah, oh, it was great. Um, so speaking a little bit more just about Miami and the looks, if you have seen, this is kind of breaking news, but the reunion looks have been released and the theme for the reunion, it seems to be like a bit of a Mexican, Latina sort of gothic. And every single one of these women got the theme. We got like the kind of religious iconography. We've got the roses. We've got the deep, deep reds. We've got the blacks. We've got kind of flamenco-ish silhouettes, you know, body, body, body silhouettes. Like it's kind of almost at Met Gala level, almost. Um, And every single one of the women really bodied the looks. My favourites because, you know, I love it. Um, there probably isn't a look that I hate. And normally there is a look that I cannot stand when it comes to reunions, but there is not a look that I hate. I think maybe my, my lowest, if I'm ranking them at the bottom of my list is probably Lisa. And only because it's just too simple when I look at what the other women are bringing. I think it's great Lisa understands her body and she dresses for her body, but I think that gown is probably just a little bit too long for her and I'd love to see her kind of mix things up a little bit more. My favourite look is probably Alexia. Again, Alexia's look, when you see it, it's going to appear very simple because it is kind of like a bodice you know, sort of bodysuit with lace over it, but the lace is so intricate and the addition of the bows, like this very subtle nod to femininity. Yes, this has suddenly become a fashion podcast because Patrizia's not here. I'm going to go sick on this. Um, the, the bows, the nods to that femininity, even though she's like so strong with that and just having her long blonde curls, to me, it is a chef's kiss on how you do simplicity without being boring, how you just take it up a notch. And then when it comes to just um, going like kind of full camp and just going out there, um, Adriana, you know, her headpiece is beautiful. She says um, it was inspired by Frida Kahlo and you can see that. Um, But it just is gorgeous and there's like these roses on the bottom of the dress. Um, I think in terms of like the high fashion looks, uh, Gertie and Kiki for me. Um, Kiki, I mean, again, I just think Kiki, you can be a model and just like sometimes like your off duty isn't that great, but Kiki really knows what looks good on her and her outfit, which is very... It's much more sophisticated, I would say, than some of the other outfits, but it has this kind of next level futuristic vibe to it as well. And it's very regal. And obviously, I mean, I'm biased because I'm a black woman, but like what color doesn't look good on us? Um, So I'm very glad that she didn't do black and that she went with that deep red. Um, 
and Gertie just living in her boldness. Like, you know, if you've been seeing, you know, Gertie has thrown the wigs out the door and is reclaiming the the boldness. And, and obviously she's, she's really cool. She's really trying to um, promote cancer awareness and this is her way of doing it, which is style and fashion. I know I've said some things about it in the past, but whatever. But it really works in this look because her dress is doing a lot and so to have the makeup and everything else paired back in this classic style, she looks great. Um, I'm going to give an honourable mention to Julia, who has kind of leaned into the mob wives aesthetic, and that's probably a bit racist of me to say, um, a little bit too much, but I knew what she was going for. She was taking a risk, but I suspect the outfit is Dolce & Gabbana, which is probably the other reason why I don't like it. Um <laughs> and Dr. Nicole is rocking her very cute baby bump. Her outfit, again, is very simple, but it's the first time in a long time, I think, that we've seen Dr. Nicole wear a dress that goes below her knees. Bit of shade there from me. Ouch. Was was not aiming for that. Um, I haven't mentioned Larsa. This is probably the best that Larsa has ever dressed on a reunion. But what Larsa is giving is the best face. I I don't want to be sounding horrible, but I think it's been quite obvious that Lassa has been going through a little bit of facial transition, if you will, and I think for a few of the episodes, her face was a bit swollen um, or I'm not too sure what's happening, but her makeup looks really, really good. Also, the photos could be photoshopped. I'd be interested to see um, what the, how, the, how it shows up on the reunion. But for me, she's giving the best face, um, her and Gertie. So that's a little bit on some of my highs of Miami at the moment. I'm excited for the reunion. Now, I want to talk about the lows. We are still on this gondola. Um, and wow, this is truly... Miami Locas is, is um, you know, what the women are calling it. It is pure chaotic energy and we are blaming altitude. <laughs> um, but I think like altitude plus fueled by alcohol and not eating, like a lot of hangriness is really bringing out the worst in these women. And there is nothing worse than being trapped on a boat, yeah, for for that kind of chaos to breed and to fester and to become just horrible. There's um, a really interesting movie called Triangle of Sadness. And if you've watched it, you know there is some chaos that also happens on a ship in that movie. And... That is what this episode and, and a bit of and last week's episode, particularly in this gondola ride, are giving. Um, we are at this death doll island because the women need to use the toilet, you know. To quote Adriana, my bladder is stronger than fear. Um, but again, being in this space is bringing up just a lot of trauma for Julia 
and we see her go through it. And this is off the back of Kiki and Lisa having a fight from hell. Um, This is off of the back of Larsa calling Lisa out. Lisa just going absolutely bonkers. Like, we seem to just be sort of making a layer cake or lasagna or a trifle of chaos. Um, yeah, trifle of chaos. Possible name of the name of the pod. Um, but everything just seems to be negative, 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 and it's it's really crazy. Um, another really great quote actually that came out of this was. Also, once again, from Adriana, when asked by the producers, when she mentioned that you could smell the evil lurking on this eyeball, is it evil smells like cat piss? And I believe that. As somebody who's had a cat, I believe those those two things um, are the same, evil and cat piss. But, you know, Larsa really said it. The trip was just no food and dead bodies. And that is not where we want these women. We want these women just kicking. We want them just having fun. We want them being fashionable. We want them, you know, drinking skinny margaritas or not so skinny margaritas in hotels. Um, also, Gertie just beginning to vomit everywhere. Very unexpected. She's obviously going through her chemotherapy at the same time as this. So, this environment where there's just booze and no food really probably isn't the, and and they're on a boat really probably isn't the best environment for them. But I think one thing for sure is that this gondola situation will probably go down in housewives history with all of the dinner parties from hell, right? Like it really, it really was, was not that great. Um, I really want to talk a little bit about Kiki versus Lisa and vice versa. You know, on this podcast, we try to imbue it with, you know, a bit of social commentary and some scholarly stuff. (laughs) That didn't sound very scholarly. But we really try to be educational. And for Patrizia and I, we try to imbue our lived experiences into some of the conversations that were happening as people who sort of live in, um, you know, marginalised spaces ourselves. And that is a lot of the conversations, particularly the last couple of years that have been coming out of Housewives, have existed in those marginalised spaces. And they're really important conversations because even though, you know, we're not all rich women living in Miami, when we watch reality shows or when we watch any television or any or we interact with any media, it should be reflecting something back to us that is of our own world because this is happening in our world. Yes, it's happening in the Bravo universe, but it's happening in our world. And the conversation that Lisa, that Kiki is trying to have with Lisa is one that is constantly happening everywhere. And it's about class and it's about privilege and it's about unconscious bias and it's about um, microaggressions and it's fundamentally about 
racism and just the chasm that exists between I th- I would even put it in this state in this world like Americanness and you know everything that is out like or westernness and everything that is not western and Elisa really says some callous callous things which are microaggressions um the talking about you know number one just like her white savior complex I guess we could call it when she goes to feed the dogs now for a lot of us, like her wanting to feed the dogs, it's not a bad thing. Her intention is good. We're, just because you want to feed some dogs on an island, you're absolutely right because I know what you're thinking. That does not make you racist. But it's the mindset. It's the fact that she assumes, believes that these dogs are not being well kept. These dogs are not being looked after without having any context the only context that she has is that she sees a shack style house shanty living if you will and for her that equates with poverty right that's the image and so it must be poverty and obviously with poverty it must mean that these dogs are not being looked after. So her comment that the chicken that she's giving them is better than anything else they'll eat, it doesn't matter whether that is correct or not correct. What matters is the thought process and where that thought has come from because that's an assumption that she's made without any facts. And that's the thing that we need to constantly check back in on ourselves and that's our unconscious bias and that's the and we do it about everything and i do it as well as a black woman somebody in, who is marginalized i do that about things all the time um but it's it's because of the way we've been socialized right it's the these we see an image and we correlate it with something and that's and we need to start like shifting ourselves out of that thought process and that's really what kiki's trying to say that just because somebody lives a certain way it doesn't mean that they're not happy. Of course, perhaps maybe they would love to live in a mansion and love to be doing all of these things, but it doesn't mean that they're not looking after themselves, that they're not looking after their family, that they're not looking after their pets, et cetera, et cetera. And Lisa's inability to understand that that is what Kiki's saying, and maybe some of it has to do as well with the way Kiki is saying it, that's fine. To be fair, though, Kiki doesn't owe you a kindness in having to say it in a way that is dumbed down for you. And that's the other side. If we do have these conversations with people, like if I'm having a conversation with somebody who's from a different marginalised community because there are intersections, there are so many things that we all don't know, there's so many things that we're constantly learning, I don't, like they can tell it to me the way they have to, they want to tell it to me and I can accept it the way I accept it, but it's not up to that person to dumb down information for me, right? It's also not up to that person to have to educate me. Let's just remember that one bit about emotional labor. We need to be educating ourselves, but you know, I think the vibes are just so off on this boat that it doesn't really matter what Kiki says to, to Lisa because Lisa is already 
in a really low space, it's just not going to break through. So obviously in this episode, Kiki tries again to have this conversation with Lisa and Lisa again is just not willing to hear it. And that is at the crux of this. Um, And because Lisa is not able to hear it, it becomes patronizing and both women just go so low. Um, I really hope that they're able to get themselves out of this funk. And I hope that like when it comes to the reunion, Lisa has had time, she understands it, and there is an apology given. But right now, Lisa also expecting an apology from Kiki is wild. Kiki owes her nothing, truly. Um, So it's, it's a fascinating conversation. And I think, you know, also Kiki consistently as a friend of, it's still wild to me that this woman does not have a mojito. Um, But good for her. I mean, she really has carried the season. Her confessionals have been hilarious. Her her costumes, her outfits have been phenomenal. Like Kiki continues to just give us her personality and it's great. I think part of why we're not seeing Kiki as a housewife is, I think we've seen her, one of her children, but she's I think not in a position to for us to go a little bit deeper into her life. Like she's not able to give us the full 4D. We're probably at about 3.5D with Kiki though. But because we're not able to get the full 4D is possibly why um, we're not getting a mojito from Kiki. But I hope she gets like more than what normal friends of get at the reunion because she really has done a lot this season and she has just been phenomenal and she's probably one of the only housewives that I have ever stand from the beginning who I have not regretted after (laughs) at least a season so you know Kiki I really want you to stay winning Lisa 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 I really want you to move beyond yourself like Lisa is really in this place right now where she cannot see outside of herself and everything is all about her and it's just a little bit sad but I hope that once her and Lenny like really settle the divorce and all of that jazz um yeah that she's able to come out of it um and out of her own selfishness a bit more all right I can't believe I did it. My voice survived. I made it to the end of the episode. Um, If you've listened, thank you so, so much. Truly, truly appreciate it. Please make sure you are following the pod wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Following is really what helps to get the word out there and helps to get other people finding the pod too. Wherever possible, please leave us a review okay, look, we love an honest review, but like, just be nice. Give us five stars. We appreciate it. Um, and Patrizio and I will both be back next week. We have both done our penance with Guadalupe and, um, I think we'll be coming back having released a lot of things. Um, so yeah, until next week. Bye.